This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 25 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about toxic positivity and the problem with positive thinking. And if you have ever felt like you were super overwhelmed or you were in a slump, or maybe you are right now, and somebody gave you advice telling you to think positive and, you know, you should be grateful and blah, 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 and you just felt like you were being dismissed, then you're really going to appreciate this episode because I'm going to talk a little bit about the problem with a lot of the positive thinking mindset types of information and self-help information out there and what you can do instead that's actually going to get you to a place where you do feel like you are thinking positive and feeling good about things. When it comes to things like your personal life, when it comes to how you show up as a parent, or if you're a professional and you want to show up for your students and clients. So we're going to talk about all those different types of scenarios today. I wanted to share first, though, why I am talking about this today, because I actually have been working on something for the speech pathologists who are my listeners. I've got a mix of parents, educators, and SLPs who 
follow my show. And so I've been working on something specific for the SLPs in the audience. And some of the feedback that I've been getting just really reminded me of this and reminded me of some things that I've experienced personally. So what I'm working on is a program for SLPs who want to get involved in advocacy efforts for the field. A lot of people who are in healthcare and education know that there are a lot of issues with funding and access to services. The program is called SLP Learning Academy, and it's focused on helping SLPs reclaim control of their time, especially when it comes to planning for sessions, so that they can make time to focus on what matters most. So obviously, one of those things is really thinking about how they design the services that they're providing their students and clients, and then also figuring out ways that they can advocate and start to work towards changes in their facilities and their communities. So the program is focused on advocating for both the professional in the situation, so the SLP, and then also focusing on advocating for the client in that situation. I had been putting some feelers out there, getting some feedback from some different people in the audience and, and saying, you know, where where are you struggling most? And a lot of the feedback that I was getting, even though a lot of people say that they are really interested in advocacy and think that it's really important, and also that they are wanting to see changes in the field and wanting to be involved in being the ones that create some of those changes. A lot of the responses that I get when I when I ask, you know, what are you struggling with right now? What kind of help do you need? Usually it's around immediate things, immediate fires that they need to put out, like like lesson plans, planning my day, getting on top of data collection, things like that. And I do hear some other things that are are more systemic. So things about challenges working with coworkers and things like that. But a lot of the feedback is about the immediate thing. And when I heard these types of things, it dawned on me that this is the exact same thing that I experience when I get so overwhelmed and tired that I'm not even excited about the things that I really want. And this happens to SLPs in their practices. It probably happens to teachers as well. And I think it also happens to parents where we all get so tired and stuck in the weeds in the day-to-day that it we have a hard time thinking about the future and really staying aligned and, and thinking about what we really want for ourselves, for our families, and for ourselves professionally in the long run. So that's why when I designed SLP Learning Academy, the first part of the process that I teach is to really help people reclaim control of their time so that they can find the energy to get control of their schedule and start to think long-term about what they want as far as their careers and how they want to serve their caseload. Now, what I'm going to do today in this episode is actually walk through a high-level view of the first step in that process so that you can get a framework for really reclaiming your time and your sanity. 
So if you are an SLP and you're interested in learning more about SLP Learning Academy, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash resources. I've actually created a page for the listeners of the Are They 18 Yet podcast where I'm going to be sharing links to all of the different things that I'll be mentioning on the show. So again, to get more information about SLP Learning Academy and some of the other resources that I've talked about on the show in the past, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash resources. There's a lot of woo-woo inspirational content out there, whether it be online, whether it be in advertisements, movies, things like that, or maybe it's in some different discussion groups that you're in, for example, where it's kind of like rah-rah motivation, we can do it, you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. And It's meant to be positive and inspirational. And some people might take it that way. Some people might find it helpful. But if it gets to the point where sometimes seeing this kind of thing over and over again, at least for me, and I know for a lot of other people, it almost makes you feel more depressed when you see um, these other inspirational stories or when you hear people talking about like, hey, everybody, we can change the world, we can do it, and that kind of thing. And when I say toxic positivity, what I mean is that when there are real issues that people are struggling with, and then somebody else comes in and kind of says something like, well, but at least you have this, or you should be grateful for this, or, but, you know, everything's going to be okay. And they're kind of just glossing over the major issue that's causing that person pain or distress and trying to get them to cheer up by just being really, again, rah-rah and happy. It's kind of like in the movie Inside Out, there is this one scene where the character Bing Bong is really upset about something. And Joy, who's supposed to be happy, is kind of like, yay, you know, come on, just trying to cheer him up and is being all all happy and upbeat. And it's just not working. It's just not making him feel any better. So sadness comes up to him and just kind of sits with him, lets him cry, lets him feel whatever he's feeling. And then he says, okay, um, you know, I'm okay now. I feel a little bit better now. And the problem with the with the toxic positivity is that a lot of times it doesn't necessarily acknowledge what's going on now. And and the problem with that is that it it almost makes people feel worse because now there's the not only are they feeling bad about whatever is bothering them, they're also kind of feeling almost shame because they they feel like they should be feeling better. So if you have experienced this lately, or if you, you know, when you're scrolling Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you see all these people's happy posts about their lives, and you're feeling, it makes you feel bad about yourself. And you sometimes feel like, oh, hey, I should feel happy for them, or I shouldn't feel bad about this, or I should be grateful for blah, blah, blah. You're certainly not alone. This is definitely something that happens. 
So when it comes to this toxic positivity, there's one side where it's just, you know, where people are trying to cheer you up and just kind of glossing over the issue. But then there's another side that I've seen recently that is almost what you might consider to be gaslighting. And let me share a couple specific examples in some different communities that I have been in or just some things that I've witnessed to just show you what I mean. So I'm going to share some examples that I've seen among professionals who are supporting kids. So teachers, therapists, or even just people who are trying to start a business like a private practice, a therapy private practice or something like that. I'll also share some examples of when I've seen it being done to parents as well. So let me do the parent example first. So with parents, how I've seen this happen is that, you know, so obviously parents, when you're when you're working with your kids, you want to think about their future. You want to think about how what you do now impacts what your kids are going to be like when they're adults. But what happens is that in the moment, in the day-to-day, when things happen and and you're stressed and your schedule is busy and you have all these other things that fall onto your plate, sometimes when you're in the weeds and you've got some immediate situation that is taking your attention and seems kind of like an immediate fire that you need to put out, sometimes it can be really hard to remove yourself from that, to get your head above water, and to think about the future and think about, oh, you know, am I doing the things that I need to be doing today that are going to prepare my five-year-old to be a good college student or a good young adult. And and that can be hard when they're sitting there and they're having a tantrum and you just want it to be over. One of the most common things that happens today would be things like letting your kids stay up late, letting your kids eat junk food, or letting your kids have too much screen time. Those are probably the big three that I see, especially the screen time. And as somebody who is a third party looking in, it can be easy to look at a person's situation and say something like, oh, you know, don't you know that's bad for your kid? Don't you care about your kid's health? Don't you care about their brain development? All of those things. And I've seen different, both on the professional side or just parents making comments to other parents where, again, there's just kind of this negative, not very supportive, not very understanding comments made to people that, again, it's, you know, don't you must not care about your kid's future because you're letting them do that. So that's where I've seen it happen on the parent side. But what's kind of interesting is that sometimes when people make these types of comments, whether it be a professional making it to a parent or whether it be a parent making it to a parent or professional to another professional, whatever the combination is, it's usually one person dangling this carrot in front of this person that is this future-focused thing that is a positive thing that that person wants. And they're saying, well, look at what you're doing right now. I I guess you just don't want this. I guess you're just not committed enough. And that's where the gaslighting element comes in, where one person is 
pretending like they're being super positive by saying, look at all these great things you can have. And if you just do X, Y, Z, and the other person is just sitting there drowning, not able to get themselves out of their downward spiral of just whatever it is that they're struggling with. And it's not that they don't want the thing. It's not that they don't want to do whatever activity it is that they think is going to be a good thing for their kids in the future. It's that they don't necessarily have the tools to be able to do it and to be able to get their heads above water. Now, on the professional side, it's sometimes a little bit different. But again, it's it's the same kind of thing where here's this person who is responsible for taking care of someone. So taking care of whether it be your kids or whether it be your clients or students that you're, you're teaching or you're treating in many of those situations. So a lot of the different therapy fields and educational fields right now, there's there's really a big need for advocacy and people to be doing things that are more big picture. So, and this could be a number of different things. It could be being on committees. It could be lobbying. It could, it could be participating in different professional discussions. Or when I was a school SLP, I was always doing different projects that I thought would help to move the field forward that were kind of above and beyond what I technically had to do for my job. So for example, my job was to treat my students. So I had to go and provide therapy for the students on my caseload. But I always liked to do things that were kind of above and beyond projects where I was redesigning different therapy protocols. I was looking for new ways that I could design my schedule and the programs. And then I did some other things for the school district that were things that were related to what I was doing, but they weren't things that I technically had to do. So for example, I helped to redesign the criteria for the district that helped determine which kids were eligible for summer school. Again, something I could have just let somebody else do, but I thought it was something that needed to be done and I wanted to move it forward. So again, there's a lot of things that we could be doing that are above and beyond. With parenting, it's it can look a little bit different, those above and beyond things. So this could be things like, you know, maybe you are having book studies with your family. Like we do, we do book studies every couple weeks where we just have kind of a family meeting and we talk about a passage from a book, maybe a TED talk, and just have a discussion about different things that we're working on in our family and think a little bit more big picture besides, all right, what are we doing right now? What homework needs to get done today and things like that. And, and we plan ahead. But the challenge with any of those kinds of things, whether it's the professional things or whether it's the, the parenting examples that I just gave, is that when you're really deep in the weeds, it can be really hard to think about that. And even though everybody knows that those are things that need to be done, they might be things that people want to do and enjoy doing, but when you are tired and busy, it's really hard to make time for them. And where some of the professional development and self-help types of things can sometimes come across more toxic than positive, as I said before, is where they just totally brush over the current issue 
and really don't necessarily meet people where they're at in their current struggle so that they can actually think about those other things that they need to be doing or that they might want to be doing. One specific example that just relates to mental health is that if you've ever talked to someone who has experienced depression or you know someone who has has a loved one who has been depressed before, then you know that when somebody is depressed, they don't want to feel happy. They just want to not feel depressed anymore. And I've experienced this firsthand where a lot of times when you're in pain, you just want the pain to stop. When you're experiencing chaos, you want the chaos to stop so you can experience calm. You don't want to change the world and do all this above and beyond stuff yet. But sometimes if you can, for example, if you're depressed and you can get to a state where you are feeling better, then you can start thinking about being happy. If you're in a state of chaos in your home, in your classroom, in your therapy room, or just in your in your work or personal life in general, and you can calm that chaos then sometimes you need a little bit of a period where you do rest and recharge, but then you might actually get to the point where you do start to think about some of those other things above and beyond and can actually be in a place where you can get excited about those things. So the question becomes, okay, how can I actually get out of the weeds so that I can, number one, recharge, and number two, actually start to think about the future, whether it be for myself whether it be for my kids or whether it be for my students and the the clients that I serve. So that's why I wanted to talk a little bit today about something that I have used in the past that is both preventative and also is something that I have used to get myself to a state of calm when I do feel like things are chaotic. And what this does for me is that it provides some structure in my day because a lot of times when I get overwhelmed and I feel like I'm not excited about anything and I can feel like I can get to the stage where I feel like I have a little control and structure in my day, then that can often get me out of that panic state so that I feel like I'm in more of a state of calm so that I can actually start to think about doing things that I enjoy doing, doing things that are going to help me to work on things that really matter to me instead of just trying to put out fires. So for example, if you're a parent and you are having a hard time getting through the day to day, this could be something that can help you to get a handle on your schedule so that you can actually start to do some of those things that you wish you could do with your family and with your kids, but you never necessarily have time to do. And this could be something simple, like maybe you want to just spend some time together as a family every day. Maybe you know that you should be reading with your kids every day, but for whatever reason, the time just gets away from you and you don't do it as often as you should. So whether it be one of those things, or maybe there's something else that you want to work on with your kids, or you want to just give yourself some time to transition between activities so you're not feeling so rushed. It could be something like that as well, just working through those transitions. And if you're 
a teacher or a therapist, maybe you have some kind of a project that you've always been wanting to work on for your students or for your building, but you just never get around to it. So this is a way that you can start to get a handle on those day-to-day things that you have to do so that you can actually make time for those things that are, are more future focused. So this strategy that I wanted to share with you on just kind of a high level is what I call my master planning process. And this is actually what I used to help me finish my dissertation when I was, again, I it was the, the first year that my husband and I were together. So, you know, I was involved with my stepdaughter. So we had family time. I had a full-time job. I was training quite a lot for some some races that I was going to be running. So I had a pretty full plate. And when I got to the end of my coursework in my doctoral program, my dissertation chair said, congratulations, you're now officially a doctoral candidate. Just so you know, only 40% of people who get to this point actually end up finishing their dissertations and getting their doctorates. 60% actually end up being ABD, which means all but dissertation, which basically means they've done all this doctoral coursework and then they've not finished. And I thought to myself, that's crazy. Who would go that far and then not finish? And let me tell you, over the next year, I realized why that's the case. Because this is something that requires you to be very future-focused and disciplined with your time. This is something that requires you to have a handle on the way that you spend your time so that you have time to focus on things that aren't immediate fires that you need to be putting out. When you have a big project like a dissertation, There are a lot of things that you have to be doing consistently that in the moment might seem like, you know what, I don't really have to do this today, but I can I can put it off and do it tomorrow. But then when you do that over time, it gets away from you and you end up just waiting too long to the point where you're not ever able to finish. And with people who have families and full time jobs That's why it's so hard, and that's why so many people who have graduate degrees either don't finish their master's degree or their doctoral degree because they don't finish their thesis or their dissertation. So a thesis and a dissertation is obviously something that is a kind of a long-haul project, but if you are parenting, for example, you have something that is way longer than a dissertation or a thesis. You have something that is an 18-year project and probably, let's be honest, a little bit longer because you've got to take care of your kids till they're 18, at least legally. And a lot of times parents end up supporting their kids beyond that um, when kids are into their 20s. So as a parent, You have a lot of things that you have to do on a day-to-day basis that are thinking long-term, that are those things where you want to look back and say, you know what, I was so glad I was consistent with this one thing. I'm so glad that I sat down and made time to, again, let's use the reading example, read with my kids every day. I'm so glad that we spent that time every night doing family game night or family meeting or 
whatever it is. So so those would be some examples for for parenting. And if you are, you know, a teacher or an SLP, maybe there's something else that you want to do. Maybe you want to get better at collaborating with people you work with so that you can just build better relationships, so you can have better results for your students, more flexibility with your schedule, and just better working relationships over time. And and those are the types of things that require consistent consistent commitment on a day-to-day process, but aren't necessarily urgent things that need to get done that are easy to put off. So again, with this master planning process that I used, I used it for finishing my dissertation. That is when I developed it. But I use this process now for all sorts of other things that I want to do to make sure that I actually plan for the things that matter most. Because otherwise, it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and not think about those things that are important to me long-term. So really what this is about is giving yourself some space to focus on what's really important to you, whether it has to do with your professional life or your personal life. So how I did it is that it's, it's pretty simple and where a lot of people go wrong with productivity is that a lot of times they focus on just the immediate things that they need to do that day and they don't necessarily think long term and put those things in first. And that's actually backwards. What you want to do is you want to think long term first, put those things in your schedule, and then you can start to put those little day-to-day things, those errands that you have to run that are going to come up. So what I do when I create my schedule is that I start first, if I have a a long-term thing that I want to work on. So for example, when I was doing my dissertation, that was about an 18-month process. Um, A lot of times for a thesis or a dissertation, it, it could be even longer than that. Some people are able to finish it shorter, but usually it's at least a year to 18 months. And so what I had to do was I had to figure out what was my end goal at the end of that 18 months? And then I had to chunk it out into 90-day blocks and figure out with each 90-day block within that 18-month period, what do I need to be focusing on? So that's what I did first is I figured out what my end goal was that I wanted to achieve over that next 18 months. And I figured out what those what I needed to be doing in each 90-day block. And so obviously the... 90-day period that was furthest from the present was the least specific and the one that was more pressing and that was going to be happening sooner, things were a little more fleshed out and specific because obviously what's going to happen is that you do have to tweak this and change this along the way. So that was the first step is that I figured out what my 18-month goal was. And then I figured out what I needed to be doing the next 90 days to meet that goal. And then within the 90 day block that I was currently in, what I would do is that I would then break that down into what I needed to be doing each month. And then I would go a step further and figure out, okay, 
um, in this present month that I'm in, what do I need to be doing for the next two weeks? So I didn't actually start to do a to-do list until I got to the two-week period. And then what I would do is that every day for the next two weeks, I would put in just a normal standard to-do list. So Monday, I'm doing these things. Tuesday, I'm doing these things. And what I did with that is that I would make that list and I would put all the long-term things that I was working on in first. So I would put those things in before any other appointments or or other things that would come up because I knew these are my main things that I have to get done today. And, and I would make time for them before I did the other things. So for you, it might look a little different. And what might even be sufficient for you is that you might even, you might not necessarily need to do the 18 month thing. You might just want to do, okay, for the next three months, what are we focusing on? And then you just, to figure out, okay, month three, we're doing this, month two, we're doing this, month one, we're doing this. And then in your present two weeks, just map out everything. And I don't use any fancy tools for these things. I just use a simple Google Calendar for my appointments. And so I have that as a tool I can reference for specific things that have to happen at a certain time. And then I just use a Google Doc and I put Monday, here's my list, Tuesday, here's my list, and I put the actual date. And then on that list, I will even put a little category of things that are coming up that I don't want to put on my to-do list yet that I don't want to forget, but I don't necessarily want to worry myself with this yet. So I even have a list that's kind of a brain dump that's at the very end of my two-week list. And so that's what I do. So anytime I have something that needs to happen for my family, whether it's we want to have our family meeting, whether it's uh, something that's been on my to-do list lately, that is a very, a very long-term goal is that I am learning Spanish. So every day I block out time to do some Spanish lessons. And so that is something that is a longer than an 18-month goal, but I at least have some specific steps that I do every single day for that. And then I have, you know, any of the other things that are coming up that are ongoing projects that I'm working on. And so that's how I keep track of it. So we we kind of got into a specific topic about productivity. And it's kind of interesting because what the problem with a lot of the woo-woo, rah-rah, positivity types of things is that, yes, they're well-intended, but they don't actually show you how to get out of the weeds. This master plan that I've just described is if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling tired, then you do need to make that time for yourself and make that space so that you can actually get to a point where you can start to think about the rah-rah happy stuff. Sometimes when you're just feeling awful, all you want to do is feel not awful. You don't want to try to feel happy. It's just too big of a jump. We want to get to a state of calm. And the way that you can do that is to kind of redirect your focus, spend some time mapping some things out. And what that can do is that it can allow you to gain some control over your time and your schedule so that you can get out of the weeds so that you don't feel so depressed and stressed. 
And so this is something for me personally, as somebody who is thinking of the future and 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 as someone who has that the future things that are coming up as something that is something that's triggering to me and stressful getting control of that and starting to map it out and look at okay here's my plan everything's going to be fine we're going to do this here and this there and when i'm feeling overwhelmed about all the things that i need to do sitting down and putting them in the calendar and seeing when they're going to get done can cause a ton of stress relief. And that is something that for me frees up that mental energy so that I can figure out how to give myself a break and so that I can get into a state where I can actually think about those things that I want to do to be proactive. And the other thing is that sometimes for me personally, and this is just something for me, it might not be the case for everyone, but when I know that I have a lot of things that are on my plate that I need to take care of, I tend to get anxious and depressed. And when people are saying things like, oh, it's going to be fine, it's going to be okay, just give yourself a break, treat yourself, blah, 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 and all those things that are intended to make me feel better, it doesn't make me feel better because they're not really addressing the main issue, which is I'm overwhelmed and I have a lot of stuff to do and I can't relax until I know that there's a way that those things are going to get done. I just, I can't put it down. And so if you're a person like that, I highly recommend this strategy because what this allows me to do is that when I sit down and map out how things are going to be, then when I do something that is kind of a self-care thing, that is just relaxed time with the family, because I've already mapped things out, I've made some decisions about when things are going to happen and how they're going to fit into my schedule. What that allows me to do is, is kind of get it off my chest, get it written down so that I can actually enjoy those types of things. So Again, what this does and what this strategy does is that it's it, it doesn't just focus on the what, it also focuses on the how. And a lot of times what people need when they're tired and stressed is not someone who's going to give them some just rationale for why they should be grateful for what they have or why they should be happier or, but look at this, everything's great. They don't necessarily need that. They need someone to address the issue that's causing the stress in the first place and not just gloss over that. And so if you're the kind of person who likes to have all those things mapped out and has a lot of things that is on your plate and you're feeling like you just can't get ahead, I highly recommend using this process instead of just the standard to-do lists and planners. And, and again, those things are fine when they're used within this framework. So again, having a calendar or a to-do list, it only works if you're putting the right things on that calendar that or that to-do list. And so that's why it's really important to start with those, those long-term things first and why that can be kind of a shift to some of the other things that people tend to do when they're feeling stressed. And what you'll find is that when you can get a handle on your schedule and create some additional time so that you can finally breathe, 
that it does free up some time to start to think about those other things that you want to be doing, but you don't necessarily always have the time to be doing. When it comes to being successful as a parent, as an educator, as a therapist, and just as a person in general, it's not just about thinking positive. That isn't the key to success. Obviously, you don't want to be super negative and pessimistic all the time, but it's more than just tweaking your mindset and the way that you think about things. It's it really comes down to giving yourself a strategy that allows you to get to a place where you're able to think positive because sometimes when you're just when your whole world is on fire it can be really hard to just flip a switch and start being all happy and positive all the time. We've got to get ourselves to a state where we're calm and focused so that we can actually start to think positive as I said before. So this is a good place to wrap up. So thank you so much for listening. And again, if you are an SLP and you want to learn more about how to use this master planning process that I've talked about today to reclaim control of the time that you spend as you are planning your sessions and you're planning your day so that you can start to think bigger about how to serve your caseload so that you can have a bigger impact with your services, then definitely check out SLP Learning Academy, where we really focus on helping you to feel empowered in your work so that you can start to think about how you can be an advocate for yourself, other SLPs, and your clients. So to do that, just go to our Are They 18 Yet resources page, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash resources and you'll be able to find the link to check out SLP Learning Academy. Again, that is drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash resources. And also, I have my other resources that I've mentioned on the podcast on that page as well, such as the Executive Functioning Guide for Parents and also the Time Tracking Journal that I've mentioned before as well. So again, drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash resources to check all of those things out. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to remind you how helpful it is to us and how much it helps us to get this message in front of people who need it if you give us a five-star rating on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. So we'd love it if you would leave us a review Again, all you need to do is to just go into your directory wherever you listen to your podcasts, search for Are They 18 Yet? And there should be a tab or a button that allows you to rate and review. We would appreciate that so much. For now, we will wrap up, but I look forward to seeing you in episode 26.
you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test, you can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.